We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Lisa, I'd like to switch gears a little bit here. We've been talking primarily about higher education, but given that you've got a little bit of experience uh, in some, some of the K-12 through stuff, uh, I'd like to ask you about youth education. Uh, so first off, what are some of the biggest problems related to youth education, so like the K-12 through in the U.S. that you're seeing currently? Yeah, so... Um Yes, I served on the Board of Education for my local school district, and um, we did encounter a number of challenges um, and and some really great successes also um, in our K-12 model. Um, some, of the, some of the biggest challenges that, that we struggled with was the funding model um, and looking at how is your public school district funded? Is it by more by local taxes? And if it is more by local taxes, What's the percentage of those individuals in the community who have children in the school district? Because we tend to have a little bit more investment that way. Um, is it by uh, a state formula, um, et cetera? And so funding was a significant piece. Um, um, consistent educational benchmarks, I think, is another one in, in where we're going with our models. Um, I'm also a fan of, of the, the more mature I become in this educational environment, I'm more of a fan of thinking outside of the box, really, in our educational models. And so I am a, I am a very kinesthetic learner. I am not necessarily good sitting in a seat. I'm not sure how I made it through four years of PT education, except that we, we do kinesthetic learning, right? We're doing that applied knowledge in the classroom in many of our classes, and I think that is probably my saving grace. Um, so I am very much in favor of tailored learning as much as possible in the K-12 context. I love the ideas of personalized learning strategies, whether that is sitting in the seat for part of the day and and part of problem-based learning approach um, for the rest of the day versus traditional style teaching. So, I mean, I really think kind of the problems that we're faced with or the challenges that we're faced with is how do we succeed in um, that learning model for these students? And how can we be flexible around our current approach in order to be able to achieve success for that particular student. And we face the same issues in higher education. I feel like sometimes we have a little more flexibility around how we might um, flip our classroom, if you will, or we might be able to change content around in order to be able to implement some new um, goals that we might believe is going to institute a better learning strategy or, or um, 
uh, more effective pedagogies. And I'm not so sure that we have um, that flexibility, that level of flexibility in K-12, uh, because generally speaking, uh, we do a traditional approach. And more and more of our students are non-traditional learners, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's really interesting with you kind of mentioning some of the big issues, including funding, consistent educational background, but also bringing some solutions like tailored learning and personalized learning strategies. And, you know, Lisa, we're going to make a big hypothetical question here because we kind of love asking these big picture questions here. So let's, let's pretend for a minute here that there are no restricting barriers, organizations, red tape on K-12 education, and the sky is the absolute limit. What would your ideal educational like continuum curriculum from K-12 look like? That's a great question. Um, and, you know, and I think that there are a number of educators who would love to have that, that problem, right? Of like, now what do I do? I, I think there are some teachers who feel, you know, limited to some degree um, by some of those challenges that we just identified. But for me, even when I was on the school board and, and in my own classrooms and looking at my own children's education as they come up through the K-12 system, it really boils down to what is it that, you know, gets that student learner to a successful um, experience in the classroom? You know, what is it that gets that, that makes them passionate about learning, you know, that, that, that makes it fun? So really matching that educational model to how the student learns. So again, looking at what type of pedagogical strategies meet the student in that space, in that learning space, and that's how we become successful learners in K-12 and higher ed. This, I think, allows our educators to be very creative and use the tools that they know are successful. Sometimes I feel like teachers aren't able to, um, again, work or think outside of the box as much as they would like because there are some limitations in place and, you know, funding maybe is an issue and so resources they may not have all the resources that they need. I believe assessment is still really essential to ensure that our pedagogical methods are effective in education. So I think, I think if we were able to remove the barriers and allowed the teachers to really think about how they're approaching education for each individual learner, I think that would make a significant impact in our system. I know, Lisa, that when you're answering that question, you're talking mostly about K-12 education, but you had mentioned something about how, you know, students learn in different styles and having multiple types of educational formats to try to cater to a student is really important. Mm -hmm. One of the big discussions that I think is going on in PT now is this transition to partly online-based programs and partly in the classroom-based programs. Um, I know that, you know, USC has been talking about doing it. WashU has talked about doing it. Obviously, South College was the first to do it. What are your thoughts on that model of education, and how do you think that fits in with PT? I think, and I do see it also as a trend. Um, you're, you're right, Stephanie. It is becoming more, more and more of an opportunity and or an option. I think it depends a lot of times on where you are, in your, in your educational journey, right? I think for me, being in the classroom with my cohort was important. You know, I learned very well that way. I, I look at, you know, colleagues and I look at that collaborative opportunity to problem solve in a very tangible, um, kinesthetic way as a way that makes me successful in the classroom. Um, so I think as, 
you know, again, I was 17 entering PT school. I think as a 17-year-old entering into PT school, that might not have worked for me. I, I really needed that socialization um, and that interaction with my peers in order to solidify kind of my learning or confirm some of my learning. So my, my approach would be, would still be um, in the lab and in the classroom more than online. But I think that there, are, there is a population of students who for whatever reason maybe can't access PT education and this provides them an opportunity to be able to do it in a distance format and it can be very successful. I think some, uh, some learners are also very successful in an online format. I think, um, you know, again, being a mother of two children who are very busy and very active, um, there, there are a number of opportunities later in the evening <laughs> for me to get work done um, and not necessarily that maybe wouldn't have presented itself earlier in the day. I also believe that sometimes financially, for people to, to pick up and move to, to a, you know, a new location um, in, in order to attend PT um, education can be challenging for some. And it may be a large enough barrier that they aren't able to take advantage of the opportunity of uh, PT education and enter into our profession. Um, so doing it in a distance format might be um, the option for them that that helps them to be successful as a PT practitioner in the future. So I think it's about learning styles. I would say when, when I, even when I very first started teaching, uh, that was, that was not a notion I ever would have dreamed of, but you know, we're talking 25 years ago. So, you know, online learning wasn't really anything that we talked about. And when I heard of the very first online occupational therapy program, I think, I think it was Creighton, um, that was offering some learning opportunities in Alaska, I thought, wow, how, how is that happening? How does that work from a lab perspective? And, you know, not teaching a musculoskeletal, foundational musculoskeletal course at the time, I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. But when they explained to me that they had that online component, and then there were, you know, on the ground preceptors in the lab, helping the students get through that, um, that lab proportion, it made total sense to me. And so again, it was, uh, that was an early adopter model. And um, I think it was effective for them. I don't, I have to admit, I do not know their outcomes, but I think there are a number of reasons of why it makes sense for um, a portion of our PT education population. I think there will always be people um, such as myself who choose a different type of pedagogical strategy because it seems to work for me. Yeah, and I think that really makes a lot of sense in terms of how it's really individualized to that individual person, how they learn, what are some of the barriers and things that are going on. So to kind of, this is, I realize, maybe a big question, but, you know, how would you say is the best way that we can kind of really triage these people early on to say you would do, like, you know, based on how you do with this, you might be better to go more towards the online model. You might do better more towards the traditional brick and mortar. You know, then they have, like, in California in the past when the Silicon Valley big things seem to really explode. Um, of course, and that's not for everyone. So I guess my big question is, how early on can we start to triage these people so they can start to go to where they need to go to best learn? Yeah, that's a great question. I would agree. I think it's a huge question. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it comes down to personal style, though. You know, I think that our youth really know their learning styles way 
better than I knew my learning style. Like I can reflect on it now and feel pretty good about, okay, I went the right path because it was the only path. <laughs> but um, I think our youth really, they, they know what works best for them. So how can we kind of triage that? How can we support them best in the learning environment or inform them best about what might work? Um, again, I think that there are some pieces right away that puts a student in this bucket or that bucket, whether we're talking, you know, the online piece or the on-ground piece. Um, and some of that might be focused around, again, finances and or geographical challenges that a student just knows that their option is the online learning model. But the other piece, you know, and again, this gets back to our K-12 conversation a little bit, is we're seeing a lot of online learning in K-12 now. And so students are starting that online learning process very early and they're, they're, they're able to identify, did I succeed or did I not succeed in that class? And so I think they're gonna come to us and be fairly informative about, I learn best in this environment. And, and so I'm going to choose that option. So I think, I think some of it is, is looking at their, their transcripts and looking at their K-12 education and seeing which paths really made them successful in their prior learning before coming into PT education. Lisa, the last question that we like to ask our guests is one that we've asked everybody. So I'm going to ask it to you now. If you could change one aspect of healthcare education, whether it's in physical therapy or another profession, which aspect would you change and how would you change it? Great question. And you guys have actually collected a lot of data around that particular question in all of your podcasts. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I thought about this question for a while and I thought about what, what is it that stood out in my PT education, right, that I thought was, was um, very impactful and um, isn't maybe um, consistent among all of our programs. And for me, early learning in the clinic was huge. Right. I was in the clinic because I was a, you know, I was a four year um, model. Um, I was in the clinic really early on and it solidified my decision to go into PT um, education. Right. I was like, I really like this. I knew it from the moment I was in that PT clinic environment and interacting, although from afar, because again, I didn't have any skill set yet, but just observing, doing that early observation. That was that was very important in really kind of setting my passion um, up for PT practice. In addition to being able to be in the PT arena, if you will, I also had the opportunity throughout my education to um, be integrated, if you will, into that surgical suite environment and had just this terrific neurosurgeon who was um, very committed to education. And he, you know, at one point when the student or when the, the, the patient was taking a break, if you will, he pulled me over and said, so this is what we're doing. And this is what this looks like. And this is how this works. And that was so important, again, for me as a healthcare professional to be able to have that kind of behind the scenes that that early integration into the clinic, it really just helped me see my professional um, pathway. And you start to own that professionalism so early when you, when you feel like you're part of it. And so I would like for us as much as possible to be able to have that, that early adoption integration into the clinic and that strong partnership between 
you know, education or the academy and clinical practice stronger than what it is because, of course, we have really great modeling out there. Um, and there are some limitations around that. But as I reflect on our excellence articles, they, they also noted, you know, how, how much more can we pull together in that kind of partnering model and that partnership model. And I think that if we can move back to that, if we're not doing it um, in a comprehensive way or just grow it, I think that would really solidify, again, that passion that our students have around PT as a profession and around their PT practitioner um, perspective. Yeah, that's a great take, Lisa. And I think, you know, we've had a lot of guests on that have talked about the ivory tower of academia and how there's that disconnect between clinical and academia and how we're trying to bridge that gap. You know, and I, I, I mean, my dissertation's on service-based learning and trying to figure out what the barriers are and why we're not using that more. Because I agree, I just think experiential learning is so much more, and, and physical therapy is the perfect field for it, right? We're very hands-on, we're very, you know, social, and there's a lot of interaction and a lot of education that goes on. So I think the earlier we could get that in PT programs, the better, for sure. But thank you so much for your time tonight and for coming on to talk to us. We, we can't thank you enough. And could you give our audience a little bit about where they could find you if they want to follow up with any questions or if they just want to chat with you online or on social media? Certainly. Um, they can always find me at St. Louis University's physical therapy program. It's lisa.dorsey at health.slu.edu. And I'd, I'd be happy to, to follow up with any questions that any of the listeners may have. Um, as Stephanie can attest, I am uh, not necessarily the uh, social media maven that she is. And so I'm pretty limited to, to email. Um, and uh, she, she's trying to bring me into more of that Facebook interaction and um, Instagram, et cetera. And so we'll, uh, we'll get there eventually, but the uh, best way is by email right now. Again, Lisa, thank you so much for the chat and for this insight. It was really valuable. And I really hope our listeners can really take some listening to this to realize this is part of the solution part of the issue within education and realize there's a lot of work being done. Um, and we'll definitely stay tuned for sure to kind of wait for that second charge from ACAP to see what happens moving forward. But thank you again so much for the time. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It was a great opportunity. I really appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, as we greatly appreciate your support to help us advance healthcare education. We are very happy to announce that we have created a new tool to help develop clinicians into better experts. With that being said, we have created the HET Light Tool, which LIGHT stands for Learning Integrated Towards Expertise. And what we've done is we've taken our first year's worth of episodes with experts in the fields of healthcare and education, and we've taken one golden nugget or theory on expertise and presented it to you in a very easily consumable format so that people can take one lesson or nugget per week and map out and plan how to incorporate it into your clinical and educational practices. And by the end of the year, we think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how far you've progressed towards becoming an expert. To find out more, please check it out at pteducator.com slash H-E-T, which is also available in our show notes. Thank you again all for your continued support. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. 
And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.